0: Welcome to The Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Bureau Briefing. It is Carl. And with me today, I have the man whose name, you can't just say his first name. It's Gary Ware. It just pulls you in. Now, Gary is the Chief Strategy Officer at Tower 33. He is an improv comic, and he's the founder of Breakthrough Play, which may be my favorite company of the year as I started looking around on there. So how's it going today, Gary? I'm doing fantastic. Um, How are you doing, Carl? I'm doing well. And anybody who knows me will be impressed that I said well instead of great.
1: Ah, that's awesome. Uh, I almost said effing fantastic uh so i had to censor myself for a, a you split can second. do that
0: we need it we need for the ratings gary
1: yeah drop some f-bombs
0: you're gonna have to <laughs> drop some and i'll clean up the collateral damage don't yeah. even worry about it but now you're gonna be joining us in
1: vegas at digital pm summit pretty cool yes I'm, I'm super excited and uh i'm going to have to contain myself to stay just within the the boundaries of, uh, the, the summit and, and try to avoid any casinos. Uh, but I'm extremely excited.
0: well And there are some pretty amazing uh, stand-up places around there too. Exactly. Some, some pretty good comic shops over there. Yep. Well, now, I wanted to ask you, like, I, I know you're at Tower 33. That's kind of your day job, right? Correct. And it's, uh, t- tell us about Tower
1: 33 a little bit. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we're a small team. Uh, we've been around for three years and – we do digital marketing. Um, our thing is, we call it, um, you know, customer journey marketing. So anything that has to do with uh, acquisition of customers, uh, I'm the chief strategy officer, um, and me and my co-founder, the reason why we created it was we wanted to do digital differently.
0: Okay. So how do you do digital differently?
1: I think one of the big things, um, how we approach it is, and we hear this all the time, you know, consumer first, consumer first, consumer first, having come from a large agency background, a lot of times you get away from that and it becomes more about bottom line and, and what can we sell into our clients regardless if we think it's going to be a good fit. And we, me and my business partner, when we decided to create this, we wanted to just be, you know, do something that provides value. So, Um, you know, the types of clients that we like to work with are the ones who have similar values to ours. And it's our, you know, our mission, uh, we call it do good, be great. I saw that
0: on the site. That was, that was classic. Yeah. So now you, you've always done improv or is this something that hit you later in life?
1: As far as improv, um, I've only been doing improvisation for the last six years and I got into it by accident. (laughs) So, so how'd you get into it? What was the accident? Yeah, it was – I didn't like Toastmasters. <laughs> I wanted to be a better public speaker. I took Toastmasters. And don't get me wrong. Uh, Toastmasters taught me really good foundation as far as delivery and whatnot. It's just I felt so anxious and so stressed out going to these meetings because I felt like I was being judged and I wanted to be right and I didn't want to make mistakes. Yeah. And it was just so nerve wracking. And then a mentor of mine said, hey, Gary, uh, what about improv? And I thought to myself, I'm, I don't think I'm funny. Um, I'm not like a Wayne Brady. I'm uh, <laughs> not a Drew Carey. Like, I, that's not me. And right. He said, just, just give it a shot. Give it a shot. Um, I'm confident you're going to really love it. It's not what you think. And yeah, I did. And I fell in love with it. It like became my anti-drug. I wanted like I wanted to do improv all day, every day. And the magical thing about improv, and I bring it to, you know, the work that I do when I do improv workshops with companies, is it allowed me to improve every aspect of my life. And, and I'm not exaggerating.
0: So and I will say Drew Carey could be the poster child for not being funny and doing improvs. You were being very nice to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, Wayne Brady, Ryan Stiles, those guys hilarious. Yes. Yeah, they are true. Yeah. Meh, not meh, so much. Not so much. <laughs> so, so every aspect of your life. So give yeah. me an example of that. Like, like, how does it help you in the morning? Like when you're just getting up?
1: Yeah. So before I talk about that, uh, I want to premise it by saying in order to do improvisation, I had to learn some principles. I'm not going to really give away all the principles, but there are certain principles that improvisers learn that allowed them to do magic on stage by like being witty and making things up. And it's really funny because I have this strong belief that how you do anything is how you do everything. And so it's not like, once I was done with improv class or improv performing, I could just turn that off. Right. And so I, you know, one of the, you know, principles of improvisation is, you know, fail fast. Um, and and that just means that you're going to make mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen and you just got to just go with the flow. And so, you know, think about, you know, in, you asked me, you know, how does improv help me in the morning? Well, a lot of times I like to have a very, you know, this is the things I'm going to do. You know, you you talk about, you know, like you, read about productivity and they talk about planning your day out and having some things that you want to do. Well, I'm a new dad. I have a a three month, um, year old. And as much as I like to have structure, I have to be willing (laughs) to be agile and, and be willing to be flexible. And that's, again, you could be very rigid and just be, um, cynical and, and mad when things don't go your way or you can just see everything as a gift and be willing to shift.
0: Well and if you've got a 3-month-old, then improv you have got a great audience there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh he my son thinks I'm the most funniest guy ever and I I hope that stays that way, but from what I hear um, I only have a few more years of that and then it's not, he's probably not going to think that I'm that funny anymore.
0: Well, now I would say you probably have until seven, maybe nine. That's what I hear. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it's somebody explained this to me. The early years are your God years. You can do no wrong. You're the funniest. You're the strongest. You're the smartest. Then you go straight from God years to idiot years. You're mm-hmm. immediately an idiot. And that <laughs> Gary is when I
1: think you should get a show on the road. Yeah, exactly. That's what I need to start uh, touring. And that's what I need to transition to stand-up comedy and, and start, start <laughs> writing some of this stuff out.
0: So, so you go through, uh, you take improv classes, you decide this is something that I need in my life. And then what happens next? Do you start doing improv comedy or do you dive into breakthrough play?
1: Yeah, I started doing shows. Um, and at the same time, uh, so I auditioned and I got picked up. Uh, for, uh, from a number number of theaters here in San Diego. And at the same time, because I was such a fanboy of improv and like how it made me feel, I started taking it to the games that we were playing, started taking it back to my teams. And, you know, I've always led, uh, you know, teams, uh, within digital marketing, some big teams, some small teams, and those games that, you know, were just fun games that I was just like, Hey, we should play this just to break up the monotony of the day actually started making our teams gel better we were listening better Uh, we were being more creative uh performance started improving we were more engaged with each other and with our clients and it's you know as i've been doing this uh, for half a decade now and, and i really geek out in the science of this um i thought it was just like a coincidence but there's no coincidence uh in the science that goes behind why this works
0: I can tell you that we had what we would call a culture call at Engine, my company. And if we did not have a moment on this call, which was just the team and the client before we took a check, before we signed any papers, if there wasn't a moment of laughter, we normally wouldn't take the project. If something Agreed. didn't happen in those 30, 45 minutes that we could look back on and go, no, we, we share something. We share a sense of humor. We We thought that was funny. The project is going to suck,
1: you know, because
0: nothing bad has happened yet. What happens when things go bad?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that it it taught us, it actually made us closer. And the one thing that I realized looking back was nothing changed. Clients were still clients. Um, You know, we had good days and we had bad days. We just had a different perspective. We saw it differently. And um, another thing that we did that is really funny: we had a client that was a terror. Um, and it like now having my own agency, we can be a little bit more selective with clients. But you know, back then, you know, you worked on the accounts that you worked on, and and this account, the client um, wasn't the nicest to us. Um, I personally thought that that person, you know, saw their agency as, um, you know, their scapegoat and, you know, they, I felt bad for them because they were in a tough spot. You know, the company wasn't necessarily doing that great and they were under a lot of pressure. So we would have calls and before us, you know, playing improv games, stuff like that, it would just be, we would end these calls just feeling so exhausted, so beat down. And we played a game um during one of these calls. And it actually when I saw this study later on, I realized uh that it wasn't, you know, it may be seen as something like disobedience, but it actually helps people be more engaged. And we played uh we called it buzzword bingo. So every time the yeah. client said certain buzzwords, we would Uh, you know, make a little uh, check mark and then afterwards we all would go take shots. And so, uh, I read a study that if you, if, you know, people play like some sort of bingo game, you know, during a talk, it actually forces them to be more engaged and pay attention and they retain more. And the fact that we are, you know, we are, we have each other's back and, you know, we realize, you know what, the client may be be beating us up, but you know, we have to support each other. Um, You know, it really just helped us, you know, continue to do the work and do good work.
0: So Now that you've got your own shop, do you bring the client in on games?
1: Yeah. Uh, Matter of fact, we like to do a lot of icebreaker games, you know, before meetings. And I I like to say this. If you're doing a sport, an athletic sport, uh, isn't it an intelligent thing to warm up? And most people say yes. And I say, well, a meeting, you know, though it's not a sport like running – you need to warm yourself up. You need to get in the right state so that you can uh, be engaged and, and have a very productive meeting. And you know, if you go into these meetings cold, you have no idea what happened before the meeting, what's on people's minds, and so it's a, a good way to just clear the air, get everyone um, in rapport, so that you can have a very effective meeting.
0: I, I like that a lot. I I, th- I think that's brilliant. Now, is that something that you just came up with as you guys were going through, or does this get back to
1: kind of the science of what you've been talking about? Yeah, it, it's something that, again, a lot of these things I did on accident. And then as I became more proficient in, in the field, I learned that there's a lot of science behind that of, uh, you know, they talk about this in persuasion is, you know, persuasion, if you want to be a persuasive person, someone that can communicate very effectively, um, and it doesn't mean that you are coercing someone to do something outside of their will. It's getting someone to uh, to do something that they want to do. You have to be in a state of rapport. And uh, rapport just means that they're open to, um, you know, hear, hear you out. And a lot of times, you know, if you are – if someone is closed-minded, you know, they're not going to hear or see things the way that um, they would have if they were just more relaxed. So these games, you know, they break the ice. Uh, they break the tension. Like you said – uh, Carl, it gets people laughing, giggling and that, you know, when you do that, it produces, um, you know, all those amazing drugs in your, your body, dopamine, uh, serotonin, norepinephrine, you know, all those things that are going to put everyone on the same page and call, um, you know, make for a very engaging, productive and effective meeting.
0: So you start to see how this is impacting you at work. At what point do you decide I want to create my own company where we focus on this?
1: uh this happened i think 2 or 3 years afterwards where i started uh, you know being in the um marketing industry you know doing a number of different talks on behalf of clients and customers and i'm the type of person like if you if you get to know me you get to know everything about me and you know i can't help but to talk about you know that i the fact that i do improv and a lot of times people they get that feeling like oh my god improv oh my god i can't believe you do improv that's so scary and i you know, and I say, it seems that way. And I thought the same thing, but it's just really plain. And, and then they said, Oh, really? And I got offers to, you know, come to various companies to do an improv workshop. And the reason afterwards, you know, when I do the debrief, and I talk about, you know, we, we recap and, and talk about the experience and and what they got from it. And I kept getting the same feedback over and over again, is that they liked the fact that I had been in the industry, that I have led teams. I have grown teams. I have been a team player. I, you know, I've worked for uh, crappy bosses. I have amazing bosses because I can see things from their perspective and I can design, um, uh, experiences that would really take advantage of the things that they're dealing with.
0: So when you're going through this, And you're doing the workshop. I know that one of the things I've heard you talk about is the breakthrough moment. Mm -hmm. You know, that that moment where you're just
1: like, oh. So do you see that in the workshops? Yes. And this is, it's really magical when this happens. And again, everything, I like to say, is always part art, part science. Um, And the science behind this is your brain is not a linear thinker. Your brain is always trying to connect the dots. And if you set up an experience that will allow you to focus on an area that you're trying to work through, and it's in a very playful manner, you're turning off your judgment part of your brain and you're opening up the your prefrontal cortex that is responsible for creativity and imagination, and your brain will immediately start to make those connections. Um, that's just how the brain works works. And those breakthrough moments that I talk about is when we, you know, set up a game, set up an environment that is dealing with a challenge. Normally, if you're going to talk about, you know what, we, we need to work on communication. We're not open and uh, we're not open communicators. There's a lot of uh, bull guarding and stuff like that. And if you just normally have that conversation, people are going to put up walls, they're going to be defensive because they're protecting themselves. However, with these experiences in these games, they're just silly games that to the player, it, they just think it's unrelated to anything. They're just having a great time. And then the magic happens when you do the debrief. Um, after we play the, the game, um, I ask a number of questions, you know, um, how was that to play that game? Anything come out from you? And more importantly, how can you relate this back to your day-to-day job or, or whatever the scenario of the experience is? And that's when people start saying, wow. Uh, The cool thing is they start seeing it from a different perspective. And then that's when you see something from a different perspective, you're open to a new possibility.
0: And if they're doing this with people that they work with, there's probably a new level of connection and a new level of care. Exactly. I I know that when for a distributed team, when you have those moments, those, those annual retreats or whatever... There is a period when you get back to work of improved productivity because people aren't seeing pixels anymore. That's, that's Larry. He plays trombone, right? Yes. It's not really Larry. I don't know a Larry. I know people that play trombone,
1: but (laughs) yeah, yeah. But it's
0: one of those things you're like, now you're working with a human being, not with a coworker.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you're going to have more empathy for them. You're going to, um, you're going to see things from their point of view and the things that might have irritated you or, or made you feel uh, resentful, you're going to, you know, start to see it differently. And that, again, is, is why this happens, is when you have a peak emotional experience, a PEE, um, you, any sort of arousal, whether it's positive or negative, uh, your brain in that moment takes snapshots. It's almost like it's HD, like video, 4K video of everything that's going on. Who is in the situation? How you're feeling? Where are you? And it starts to make associations. And you're right. When you're having a great time, you're going to say, wow, I'm having a great time. I'm with Larry. I must like Larry. That's just how our brains work. We're, we've been wired like that, you know, for, you know, tens of thousands of years um, before we were able to communicate with language. You know, we were able to figure that out. And then you just start seeing things differently. You know, that's why, um, you know, they say, you know, go have happy hour, go do some stuff. You're right. Like just by having a great time, you're going to feel closer with someone. Uh, the added benefit of some of the experiences that I provide is that, not only are you going to feel closer, but you're going to work out um, some common challenges that a lot of companies face.
0: And you're going to be putting on an uh, interactive session at the Digital PM Summit. and And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all around improvisation as a way, as a
1: tool, really, to get better collaboration. Correct. Yeah, uh, you know, digital PMs. I I, I feel for them. Uh, they have a very challenging job. They're, I like to say they're like the, the conductor. Um, they have to be able to speak different languages and not just like different languages as in like English or something else. They have to be able to speak to programmers and to clients. They have to be able to navigate these tough waters. And they have to be able to help people, um, you know, get stuff done and, and be able to collaborate. And the cool thing about improvisation and play – It gives you a nomenclature and it gives you a framework that will allow you to have very repeatable, um, performance. Well, Gary,
0: I'm excited to see the workshop. Hopefully I'll get to participate in the workshop. We'll see, you know, I mean, I'll be at work, but my (laughs) my job's pretty cool. Pretty flexible. (laughs) Exactly. It's going to be this October 15th through 17th in Vegas. And we look forward to having you there. And thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me, Carl. I really appreciate it.
0: And to everybody listening, show up in Vegas. Gary is hilarious. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you'll be better at collaborating when you get back. How bad could that be?